Resurrection Sunday. It's a very meaningful day for me. 42 years ago, I went to a resurrection service and heard the message of the resurrection. And it was that day that I gave my life to the Lord. 42 years, I'm now born again. This is my, as we say in Philadelphia, birthday. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an exciting day, and I love Resurrection Sunday because it reminds me of how God took me from darkness to light. In a moment of humility, turning to the Lord, to the resurrected Savior. And so I come preaching with great joy this morning because I am someone who now knows the power of the resurrection. I wanted to start this morning by reading a little excerpt, a a bit of a story from this book, The Acts of God. Um, And I think you'll see where I might be going with this. In the early 1920s, Nikolai Bukharin was sent from Moscow to Kiev to address a vast anti-God rally. For an hour, he abused and ridiculed the Christian faith until it seemed as if the whole structure of belief was in ruins. Questions were invited. A priest of the Orthodox Church rose and asked leave to speak. He faced the people and gave them the ancient Easter greeting. Christ is risen. Instantly, the whole vast assembly rose to its feet And the reply came back like a crash of breakers against the cliff. He is risen indeed. That was 102 years ago in Kiev. And today, brothers and sisters, in that war-torn country, our brothers and sisters are out in the open, worshiping and saying, He is risen. He has risen indeed. And that is a statement of faith and resurrection power. How wonderful it is to see the church in Kiev and Ukraine raise up Christ in the midst of all this. How powerful it is on this Resurrection Sunday that 102 years have gone by and they still come put Jesus in the tomb. Amen? That's where we're at this morning as we come. And I wanted to start with a scripture text that just says this is the foundation of our faith so that we know this and claim it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 14. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. This is the foundation, this resurrection, this fulfillment of Scripture, this kiss from God, this amen. 
Yes, the amen to Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. When Nancy was talking, it's exactly right. That's why it is Good Friday. Jesus said that he was and now is the resurrection and the life. He was dead and now he's alive, never to die again. Hallelujah. We celebrate that this Sunday morning. There were many eyewitnesses to this, and that's what we're going to be looking at now. I have, it's the resurrection narrative, but let's just go back to it. This is an eyewitness account. So let me read Luke 24, 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. See, we're living in a day where we're being told that the central teachings of Scripture must be reinterpreted in ways that conform to our secular assumptions, our secular mindsets about what is possible and not possible for God to do. In other words, humanity is now setting the limits on what God can and cannot do. We're basically making God in our image. But we know that God has made us in his image. So the words and the proclamation, he is risen, is an announcement from beyond human possibility. Amen? He is risen is beyond human possibility. Is there evidence? Is there historical evidence of the resurrection? Of course there is. And you know, there's many sermons that talk about the evidence. Just a few things. When they went there, this huge stone, which weighed thousands of pounds, was moved. How did it get moved? Well, it must have been a miracle to move it. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't need that to be rolled away for him to rise from the dead. The reason it was rolled open was for us to see that Jesus was risen. That we would have evidence that Jesus had risen. When they looked in, what did they see? They actually saw the wrappings of Jesus in the same place where he was laid, untethered, and it looked like the body just evaporated out of it. Lo and behold. Jesus rose from the dead. And then it tells us that there were witnesses, different appearances. At one time, 500 people saw the risen Jesus. In 1960s, a professor named Josh McDowell went out to disprove Christianity. He was going to write a paper disproving it. And after 700 hours of research, he came back and basically said, there's not only no evidence, 
but this is not only an historical fact, but I have now, in doing this, become a believer. And God had worked in his life, and he wrote a book called Evidence to Demand a Verdict. It's, if you're interested in that, if that's something you're curious about, it's a great book. He does a great job on explaining the evidences. But this is the truth. There is an historical fact. There are witnesses. There's all kinds of reasons to know that this Jesus, who said he was going to rise, rose from the dead, that the resurrection is true, and it is filled with power. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The first thing we want to begin thinking about, Ecclesiastes is one of these books. We just did it in Sunday school. And some of you might say it's a pretty morbid book. Um, but actually, the reality of it is, is that it really points us to grace and to God. In Ecclesiastes 3.11 it tells us that God has set eternity in the heart of each human being. This means that we were created to live forever. But because of our rebellion against God, our desire to be God of our lives and live for our own self-centered desires, this is what the Bible calls sin. If you want to know what an explanation of sin is, that's what it is. It's the pride of us saying we are God, we know what's best, we have our own desires, and we don't care what God says, we're going to pursue them on our own. That is sin, and what that produces is separation from God. It produces separation from God, and as God came to Adam and Eve in that garden, there was a curse pronounced. The curse was that because of that separation, there would now be physical and spiritual death. a writer, his name was Philip Roth, and in 2001, he wrote a book called The Dying Animal. Listen to what he says. Inside every calm and reasonable person, there is a hidden second person scared witless of death. Joseph Addison, a philosopher, writer, politician, here's what he writes. The fear of death often proves mortal and sets people on methods to save their lives which infallibly destroy them. Methods to save their lives on their own, being God of their own lives, but having no ability to save their lives. See, the fear of death is a silent master and it takes many forms. And I call this the shadow of death. Now, we can deny it. We try to escape its reality by frenzied distractions well, that could be pursuing and accumulating wealth, being fixated with sex in all its perverted forms, creating philosophical rationalizations, having paralyzing panic, looking for conquest and power. But unless something happens with the reality of death, God, sin, and the devil, the shadow grows, bringing more brokenness, more evil, more violence and murder and war and anxiety and fear. And that's what we see in our world today. We see the shadow of death in everything that we're about. It's there. Many of us have hidden anxiety that we don't even recognize comes from the fact that ultimately there is death. 
We strive to keep ourselves alive. We work towards all these things. And yet the shadow hangs over us, does it not? But there is good news. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hallelujah. Jesus became like us, fully God, fully man. He became the mediator and the high priest. Remember in the Old Testament, the high priest was the one who represented each person, represented Israel and bringing their sins and making an offering for it. Well, Jesus isn't just making an offering as a high priest. He becomes the sin offering on the cross. And God's justice is satisfied as Jesus absorbs the punishment that you and I deserve. The only weapon the devil can use to destroy us in death, listen to this, is unforgiven sin. It's the only weapon he has. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And now that Jesus has purchased our forgiveness through the shedding of his blood and resurrection, the devil is disarmed and we are delivered from the fear of death in its shadow. We can say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What? Yes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Say it to yourself. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Dying is not the end. It is the beginning. There's something radical about that. See, we live so much in that shadow of death, we lose sight. We begin to fall under the trap and the enslavement and the fear of that shadow. When that shadow has been cast away through what Jesus has done. I love what Karl Barth says here. I have the quote down there. Nevertheless, wherever that crystal clear word resurrection will be heard and understood, a prior word must be heard and perceived. Death. It must be seen that in the midst of life, even in blooming and healthy life, there is a yawning chasm, a deep pit that cannot be filled by any art or power of humanity. Only one word is sufficient to cover this chasm, to fill this pit. Jesus is victor. That is resurrection. Hallelujah. That's what Paul proclaims in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 57. I want to read them for us to get a sense of that. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The power over death 
and its shadow leads to the power of certain hope. The power of certain hope. Not hope like we say it, right? Not like we hope the Sixers are going to win the championship. Not like we hope the Phillies, oh my gosh, how much more money they have to spend before they win. Not like we hope we do great in school or we hope, hope, hope. No, it's not that. It's real hope. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, which we just sang about, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What are we doing? No wonder the writer of Ecclesiastes said vanity, always meaningless. We work, we work. We want to work towards our retirement. We want to be able to have some security. But brothers and sisters, when we act like God, it doesn't happen. We only have real, certain hope because God himself has made it possible through Jesus Christ. We now have resurrection hope, the full assurance, strong confidence that God is going to take care of us in the future. Who do you want to take care of you in the future? Huh? I don't know. I've been dealing with hospitals lately. I've been seeing older people go in and go out. I want to tell you something. I'm glad I have God. And I'm not saying anything about the medical profession. I'm just saying it's hard. And there are so many people struggling through the shadow of death that I want to make sure that my security is in the living hope of the one who's defeated death and has told me he now has an inheritance that will never spoil or fade that is going to be ours. And listen, he said to the disciples on the night before he died in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I've got to do this. I've got to do the cross, and I've got to rise. But after I do that, I am preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come and bring you to be with me. And then we have these beautiful descriptions of what this place is going to be in Revelation 21 and 22. Listen to some of it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grab a hold of that. We use our imaginations to fear ourselves to death, Let's use our imaginations on something that's going to encourage our hearts to life. Amen? God has given us this. He's given us this. We get excited about this. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians tells us, is the seal and the deposit. Paul in Colossians tells us that Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. When we come and we humble ourselves, the Holy Spirit 
who is Christ himself, comes into us. And because of that, we have the hope of glory. It is living hope. It's resurrection hope. And when we have that idea and knowledge of resurrection power over death and the power of certain hope, that gives us power for living. That gives us power for living. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Listen to that. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know the power of his resurrection. See, there's a difference between knowing facts about the resurrection and knowing Jesus in the power of the resurrection. There is a big difference. I was thinking about this, right? I often think about the disciples. I think about um, right after Pentecost. And I, I think about like, gosh, what would it be like if I really had the same mindset that they had, right? What would it be like if I literally had, you know, I had been despondent, I had a sense that God had left us, that there was nothing left in life, I was full of fear that the authorities were coming after me, I was going to be chased and persecuted, there was nothing really left to live for, basically left with nothing. And then they see the resurrected Savior. Jesus Christ. Ha! Ha! And what happened? They were changed. They, they were totally changed. I mean, people used to say, how can these fishermen be changing the world? Like, what's going on here? Aren't they just some dumb bums from hillbillies from, you know, Galilee somewhere? And they're changing the world. And they're making sense. And they're performing miracles. And they have no fear of death. And they're reaching out to people with love. And it's just incredible what they're saying. And we see in Acts 2 where it says, literally thousands were being added daily to the kingdom because so much was going on in their lives. Hallelujah. And we look back and say, oh my, that was then. This is now. But that isn't the truth. That same resurrection power is here. It's alive. It's in each one of us right now. It's in this church. It's in this building. It is here. Jesus said to the disciples as he was ascending into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Brothers and sisters, we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Right now, we have resurrection power. I have a quote by J.B. Phillips. The great difference between present-day Christianity and that of which we read about directly after Pentecost is that to us it is primarily a performance. To them it was a real experience. To these men and women it is quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life altogether. 
they do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. It's a good question to be asking ourselves, isn't it? Is Christ living in and through us? Do I believe what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says? That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Just like the disciples, we have become resurrection people. Maybe we should say that to one another. Just to convince one another. What do you mean? Why are you thinking like that? You're a resurrected person. You're, you're, you have resurrection power. You have God in you. You have the ability to go to God and speak to God. God's able to do things that no one else is able to do. Why are we living this way? And I don't say that as one who has that all together. I'm saying, hey, I'm in here we're with you. This is where we're at. But here's what Peter said. After this happened, he said, listen, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, listen, you may participate in the divine nature having accepted the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, have escaped the corruption. We now partake. We partake of the divine nature. So how does this work in us? How do we live this way? Well, the first thing is, is we have a new perspective on the hardships of life. We have a new perspective on the hardships of life. In 1 Peter, it tells us that these trials, the suffering and grief, all these things have come to us. So that what? That our faith will be proven genuine because it's of greater worth than gold, which perishes that was refined by fire, so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And because of this, you can live this life in the midst of all that's going on and have an inexpressible joy, a joy that goes deeper than the sorrows, a joy that goes deeper than the grief, a, great, a joy that goes deeper than the hard circumstances of life because it's based on something more solid, a certain hope and power over death in its shadow. Hallelujah. Can you see that? That's why 2 Corinthians 4 can tell us our troubles and we love telling people about our troubles, don't we? We, are, we just love it. Our culture loves it. Our troubles are light and momentary compared to the surpassing glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, hallelujah. That picture, that heaven, that's ours. <laughs> that is ours. There's, nothing's going to take that away. Jesus purchased that for us. That is ours, no matter what happens. And I think about that. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I could be in, in desperation. I know that brothers and sisters in Syria right now who are being oppressed, they, they believe this. They understand it. It's as if the Spirit says, this is what it's all about for you. I'm hearing testimonies from the Ukraine that just blow me away. 
that in the midst of all this, they are praising God. They have a joy that goes deeper in these things. These are people who are seeing families separated, seeing death all around them, and yet there is something deeper that transcends it, and that is the resurrection power that we have in Christ Jesus. We have a new perspective on the hardships of life. This new power in us empowers us to love. It empowers us to love people. And here's the thing, as we talked about on Good Friday, the most powerful aspect of that is forgiveness. We're all going to basically become irritating to someone. Or more than that, we might become an enemy of someone. Or we might have enemies. We might have done something that's caused someone to really feel bad. We might be betrayed by somebody. We have so many things happen to us in relationships. But brothers and sisters, if the God of the universe could send his son to go into a cross for us, that he would suffer all that what our sin deserved, all of our betrayal of God, all of our questioning God, all of our doubting God, and he could forgive us. And now that spirit is in us. Guess what? We can forgive also. And all we need to do is tap in. All we need to do is say, Lord, I can't forgive. Help me to forgive. Lord, let me have your heart to this person. Lord, give me the ability to forgive. And when we forgive, brothers and sisters, we forgive in such a way that we don't. We're not holding it against people. It changes relationships. Forgiveness is so powerful in relationships. It gives us the power to love. This is resurrection power at work. This is living power. I love that this power takes hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh. How many of you have people in your lives and you just, Lord, they have no faith. They're running around crazy in life. There's so many things going on. I'm watching so many broken relationships that are happening. If only they knew you. Lord, why is it we have children? We say, Lord, why is it that our children don't know you yet? Our adult children, why don't they know you yet? We've tried, Lord. I've tried. If I could strangle the Holy Spirit in them, I would. But I can't do it, Lord. And then the Lord speaks to you and says, well, how did your heart change, Ange? Well, uh, uh, me, right? No. No, it was the Holy Spirit doing what only the Holy Spirit could do. It was the Holy Spirit coming in through irresistible grace and speaking to my heart, showing me who I was before God, a man of unclean lips, that my heart was deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it? And I needed a Savior. And I didn't want to face God by myself. I wanted to face God with my Savior. And my heart was changed. We have the ability to cry out in prayer for the Holy Spirit to do what none of us can do in people's lives that we love, in, in, in tyrants like Putin, to change his heart. Because the Holy Spirit is able to do that. That's how we live. We live with that confidence. I don't care who you are. One thing about my father-in-law many, many years ago there was one thing that I knew about him even before I was a Christian. This man believed that this gospel and this spirit could change anybody. And I'm living proof of that. 
So we move with that. It's how we live. As we do that, we become witnesses in our actions towards people and with the good news of the gospel. We have good news to bring to people. Don't shrink back from this. I seriously want to encourage you. We're in an age where it's, for many people, there's so much fear to say, I've got good news. Please do not let Satan take this away from you. There is so much power in this good news. There are so many people out there desperate. They don't even know what's going on in their lives. They're completely confused. Every other day they're hearing another message. Oh, that must be true. Oh, no, that must be true. Oh, let's go on Facebook. That might be true. Oh, well, Twitter said this. TikTok said that. Come on now. God speaks through his word and his good news to hearts that are empty, striving, desperate, blind, and needy. God, help us. He will give us the courage, if we ask, to speak the good news. I could go on, right? Have you ever been around somebody that when you walk away from them, you think, wow, am I really a Christian? Has that ever happened to you? Pastor Van and I, when we were in South Africa, we started talking to this couple, Hakeem and Samatha. You know them as Don and Samatha for Power and Light Ministries. And he began to tell us his story. <laughs> How uh, he was in Iraq when the soldiers were leaving. Someone had given him a Bible, and he began to read it. And then he began reading more and reading more. And then Jesus just captured his life. And, and he was trying to find somebody, somebody who could explain this Jesus to him. And he searched for a while. And finally, there was a missionary about 50 miles away. And someone told him about it. He went to this missionary and he explained the good news of the gospel to this man who had grown up a Muslim in Iraq. And he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he began telling us his story. I wanted everybody to know. I started writing up pamphlets. I, I started sending them out. I was talking to my family. My house got bombed twice. They finally imprisoned me. They kicked me out of the country. That's why I'm in South Africa right now. And I'm going back. And I'm going into Syria. And I'm going into all these places. And I'm going in with contraband and with Bibles. And he tells us stories about how he opens it up and they, the guards didn't see them. The angels made him blind to the fact that there were Bibles in there. I mean, all these stories. And Van and I were like, oh my gosh. Like we left there going, are we really Christian? Like, like this is amazing. And, and what we saw was the power of the resurrection being lived out in somebody who was in a particular situation that God had prepared them for. And we saw no fear of death, and we saw looking at hardships differently. And it made us think about our own lives and what we were doing, especially at that point because we were in Africa preaching the gospel. This is what God is able to do. So how do I want to end this morning? I just want to, you might be saying, all that sounds good, I'm encouraged by it, but the moment I walk out that door, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to struggle. 
I'm going to forget it. I'm going to be overcome by fear and anxiety and worry. I'm going to be overcome by the things of this world. So, Ange, it's great that you say that. How does it work in my life? How, how does it work in my life? How do I begin living with more and more resurrection power? How do I live in a way where death doesn't hold its, that, that stranglehold on me, that the shadow of death all around me doesn't discourage me, where I have hope and that hope makes me someone who can look at an eternal perspective and look and act differently. How does that happen? And here's what I want to say to you. It's what God told the disciples. What did they do? What did they do when Jesus sent them back into Jerusalem? Does anybody know? What did they do? Did they run a bingo game? Did they go out and, you know, do some type of fundraiser? Did they have some committee meetings? What they did was pray. They prayed. But they prayed probably differently than you and me. Here's a prayer out of Ephesians 1 that you might want to start praying. Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. This is what, what is he praying for, for the saints, praying for our own hearts, that we would know this power, that we would understand our inheritance, that we would know our hope. Pray it into existence to the Holy Spirit. Pray these things before the throne of God that the Holy Spirit can be unleashed in us. Let's stop grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit the way we live. There is resurrection power in each one of us. Hallelujah. Do I want it? Do I want to stay living the way I'm living? Church of Christ, rise up. We are needed in this day. People need to know resurrection power, resurrection hope. They need to know these things, and we have it. We have it. God, help us. God, help us. God, help me. Let me end with this quote by Spurgeon. To know a crucified Savior is having crucified all my sins is a high degree of knowledge. But to know a risen Savior is having justified me and to realize then that he has bestowed upon me new life, having given me to be a new creation through his own newness of life, this is a noble style of experience. No one should be satisfied with less. May you want to know both Christ and the power of his resurrection. Why should souls who are risen with Jesus wear grave clothes of worldliness and unbelief? Rise, for the Lord is risen. Why are we still wearing grave clothes? Why? 
ask ourselves that question. Our grave clothes are gone. We're in Christ. We now have the garments of the bride that will be presented to him. Let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to deliver us from our anxieties and our fears and the values that we so value that are in our world and begin to live out of resurrection hope, out of resurrection joy, out of resurrection power, that we will be bear witness. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and help us. We are a resurrection people. Can I hear you say that? Are you a resurrection person? Can I hear an amen? amen. We are resurrection people. Hallelujah. New creations. May God work in our hearts and in our lives. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, it's, it's, <laughs> the depths of these truths go so deep. The Holy Spirit, you have to come and make them real to us. We pray, Lord, we pray out of Ephesians 1 that we, Lord, would know this hope that we've been called to, that we would understand and believe the glorious inheritance that is ours. That, Lord, you would reveal to us and move in us that power which raised Jesus from the dead that our lives, Lord, would reflect your glory, that we would be delivered from those things that come from the pit of hell, and we would walk as Jesus walked in this world. Help us, Lord, I pray. There's so much we need the Spirit to do in us. Deliver us, Lord, now we pray. Lord, we say to you, we do not want to live with the grave clothes. We don't want to put them back on when we leave here. We don't want to put them back on tomorrow morning. We don't want to put them back on next week. We want to live with the new clothes of resurrection glory that are ours through you, Lord God. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.